TGIF, welcome back to another episode of In Case You Missed It This Week in GovTech. Now, we've got a special episode planned for you today because we know the number one priority for state and local government officials across the country with technology is cybersecurity. We've seen agencies across the country hit with ransomware, social engineering attacks, all kinds of new things. Now we've got killware. And so we have brought in an internationally recognized cybersecurity leader, technologist, keynote speaker, blogger, author, senior fellow, and more to break down what he has seen in this landscape. He's also the field chief information security officer for public sector at Presidio, but he's most recently co-authored a new book called Cyber May Day and the Day After, A Leader's Guide to Preparing, Managing, and Recovering from Inevitable Business Disruptions. And he previously led Michigan's government cybersecurity and technology infrastructure teams from 2002 to 2014, was a governing magazine public official of the year and Computer World Premier 100 leader. I'd like to invite to the stage Dan Lorman. Dan, thanks so much for carving some time out to join us today. Thanks, Dustin. It's great to be with you and Joe. It's great to be here. And, and uh, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, so let's start first just with your background, because you are, you know, a very seasoned cybersecurity expert in the industry. But how did you end up becoming the government cybersecurity guru? Yeah, thanks. I mean, I, you know, it's, it's, it, I have a blessed career. It's uh, started at NSA. So back in the late 80s, you know, during the Reagan years, uh, within England with Lockheed and Mantec. So I was in the intelligence community in my early days. And it was doing networks, but, you know, kind of, you know, security is our middle name at NSA, right? So it's like kind of everything was cybersecurity. But, you know, then joined Michigan government in the late uh, late 90s, and um, we did a lot of uh, Y2K during those years, and I was agency CIO, um, did help build Michigan.gov, you know, e, you know e-government was huge, and, and, and then 9-11 hit. And in Michigan, we, as you guys know, we had a big centralization back in those years. And um, Governor Angler at the time brought all the different agency IT groups into one shop. And it was pretty clear we needed a, C, uh, a CISO, right? So I was a guy with MNSA with a background and I became Michigan's first CISO. I think the first CISO for all 50 states, um, state governments, SLED, SLED governments. Um, but uh, that was 02. So really kind of the rest is history been been really working with cybersecurity my whole career, but in government um, really since 02. That's that's great, Dan. Thanks for joining us. You know, Dustin mentioned off the top some of the threats that we're seeing across state and local government. What are you seeing out there in the cyber landscape for states and localities? Any new threats, bad actors that uh, leaders should be aware of? Yeah, Joe, I know it's, it's, it's interesting. I just read a report that came out uh, from congressional testimony it just bothered my mind earlier this week. It said that uh, the, the ransomware attacks, and you guys know this, but the, the numbers blew me away. The, the ransomware attacks this year alone are more than the last 10 years combined. And, and I mean, when you think about that, I mean, in 2019 was pretty bad. You guys know I blog for Government Technology Magazine, and I, I thought 2019 was the year ransomware hit state and local governments. So, and then 2020 was way worse than 2019. And now 2021 is even worse. So, I mean, you got to kind of start, you know, the whole conversation with ransomware. Um, it's probably worse than we're actually even hearing about. Um, so there's all different types of that, of course, you know, different angles on that. Um, we could talk a lot about different ways that, you know, people are not just, you know, ask extortion for the money, but they're reselling, you know, making money two and three ways out of it. 
um, you know, selling the data anyway, you know, threatening if you don't pay, they're going to release it on the dark web. I think those are still the top stories for this year. Um, new threats are just hitting each and every day. And I have to say, you know, it's accelerating. So um, I don't see this slowing down as we head into 22. Uh, lots of different specifics we could talk about, you know, about that. But um, yeah, the threat environment continues to worsen. I think the only other thing I would mention, and you guys I know have talked about this on your show in the past, but you know, I, I just the C, I talk to CISOs and CIOs all over the country and government, you know, every week like you guys do, and the shortage of staff is really, really a huge issue. Um, doing lunch with CISOs out at NASIO conference, different people. Everybody is just really they've lost a lot of staff this year. Some have lost. I, I know some CISOs that have lost 50% of their staff. Um, and it's it's to the point of crippling. I mean, they just can't get work done. They have a priority. They have a plan, but they can't execute it because they can't keep people. So the, the cyber talent issue, I think it's becoming a crisis for state and local governments. Dan, I'd like to go back to uh, to the new book and repeat the title in case someone missed it. Cyber May Day and the Day After, A Leader's Guide to Preparing, Managing, and Recovering from the Inevitable. I was just wondering if you could share more about why you decided to write the book and who the book is for. Yeah, thanks, Jed. Appreciate that. And, and uh, appreciate you guys letting me talk about this. Um, you know, it started really, um, I, I'm going to go back a couple of years. I I, you know, during COVID especially, but even before that, I've been working with a number of uh, people around the world, actually, who I met through LinkedIn. Um, my co-author, Shemaine Tan, is a real cyber superstar in, in Australia. She actually comes from Singapore, but she's been in Sydney, Australia now for over 10 years. Um, and she started something called Cyber Meetups, which they have meet in like five Australian cities. They meet in, in Japan, in Tokyo. They meet in Singapore and some other Asian countries. And um, she's getting huge, you know, uh, attendance at her events before COVID. I was actually going to go over and be in Sydney for a wedding. I was going to speak at one of their events. Of course, COVID two times canceled my trip to Australia. So probably like a lot of other listeners, uh, you know, have a, my travel plans changed because of COVID. But basically, uh, Shemaine reached out to me in August of 20 and said, you know, she I'd helped her write on a chapter in one of her books, her first book. Um, on cyber leadership, uh, cybersecurity leadership for CISOs. And uh, she said, you know, let's write a book together. And so we've been working on this for about 15 months. The interesting thing was um, we talked about this topic. What should we write about? We talked about ransomware, cyber incidents, emergency incidents. This was before solar winds, before Colonial Pipeline hit, before JBS uh, Foods and, you know, all the hospitals and all the, you know, the, the destruction in 2021. Um we were pretty much done writing it uh, back in, in February, um, handed in our manuscript uh, back around the 1st of May, and then Colonial Pipeline hit, then JBS meets and the Ireland Health Service all went down. So we were able to include those in, those 35 stories. So what we thought was missing and how we came up with this topic was really there's so many great checklists out there. We referenced them from NIST. The cybersecurity framework, there's a lot of great private sector checklists from around the world. Other governments have those checklists. We have those references in the book, so we cover those. What we thought was missing in the market, we think this fills that niche, is true stories. People want to hear what happened. You know, when you were hit, you know, I was there in 03, you know, 
um, when the blackout happened, but, but all the way through to, you know, emergencies in 2021, you know, what did you do? How did you do it? Who was involved? You know, who called who, you know, basically the, the, the nuts and bolts of what happens during a cyber emergency. And so really covering that and really covering, you know, true stories with practical tips, you know, um, and the audience really is for not just technology and security pros, but business leaders, um, small businesses. Uh, there's a lot of stories in here from state governments. Uh, I've got Nancy Rainasek in there from, from Texas and um, Kevin Ford, North Dakota. He's, you know, now going to the private sector and as, as Maria Thompson has in North Carolina, but stories from all over the country, um, cities and counties are in there, um, but also lots of hospitals, lots of large Fortune 500 companies and global companies. So, you know, really true stories, what happened. And so the audience is CXOs, uh, leaders. I think technology and security pros certainly will benefit from this. But um, really, you know, cyber emergencies are business problems. I think we're going to talk about that for all levels of leadership. It's not just for the security and technology people. It's, it's business risk. And uh, so we really want that audience to hear this leadership really across the board in business. So for those that are listening in right now that, you know, think cybersecurity is just a CIO, CTO, a CTO, CISO kind of function, you know, yeah. what would you tell them? I mean, you know, this book is really targeting, as you said, that full palette of leadership business leaders that are out there. Why is it something that everyone needs to wake up to in the organization? Yeah, great question, Dustin. And I think if you really look at, um, you know, what happened with Colonial Pipeline earlier this year, that I think really... Um, for a lot more people changed the conversation because, you know, they saw the impact of ransomware and you had gas lines that were three, four hours long in, in, in the southeast part of the United States. I mean, it's a business issue. Businesses shut down. I think in governments, we saw Baltimore, Philadelphia, we go through the laundry list, Atlanta, you know, throughout Texas, you know, governments shut down, the business of government shut down. And you can't, you know, do tax returns. You can't, you know, there, there are challenges that people are facing that uh, across state and local governments, private sector, which really hit people um, and, and, and disable business. And so, um, you know, emergencies, and we talk about this in the book as well. It's, it's a lot of people talk, even before, um, you know, this last couple of years, people talked about all hazards and you know whether you whether you're brought down by a thunderstorm or a hurricane or a flood or a fire or a tornado or a cyber attack if the power goes out it affects the entire business so i mean it really this is this is really something i think blended threats we talk about this in the book blended threats are another challenge is that when you have a major issue the the the, the attackers and the stories of this even the last couple of weeks um, you know, kind of doubling down and, and, and piling on, if you will. Okay, you've got an outage, you've got a problem because of some natural disaster. Can I take advantage of this while everyone's looking left and I can come in on the right? And so it really is a business risk issue and it really affects all levels of government. It affects all uh, leaders and, and the impact really about, you know, recovering from that affects all of us. You know, I want to dig into your book a little bit. The book's divided into several major sections, and I want to talk about your hypothesis for the first section, and that's focused on what leaders should do uh, to prepare for the inevitable. So what's some of that advice in terms of what leaders should be focused on? Yeah, so it's a picture of the book here. Um, I mean, there's so many there's so many different stories. I mean, 
what we try and do, I can just give you a couple of them from 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 the beginning in, in chapter chapter one. But um, you know, we start off with with um, you know really in, in the intro, we we, we cover um, you know from from the Biden administration to the Prime Minister of Australia to um, you know leadership Federal Reserve um, interviews, you know about how this is now front and center um, and the kinds of attacks that could really disable not just individual organizations or small businesses or governments, but bring down the financial system. So lots of quotes around that. Um, so, you know, really get an understanding of what is the impact of this and, and, and what, what are the challenges we face. Um, and we start right out I'll give you a couple quick tips from the, from the beginning. And uh, chapter one is, is we, we start off with, you know, do you even want to know what the problems are? Because a lot of leaders are like, if I put my hands over my ears and I don't because if if, you, if I know about this now I got to go fix it. The auditors are going to get involved and and but they don't want to know. Um, but there's true stories right out of the gate, like um, from an airport where they found you know literally on open servers uh, globally in like multiple countries um, detailed security diagrams around all different types of uh, templates to get into the airport, badges, signed documents, things that could be used to really cause a terrorist attack. And there was all wide open, available on public platforms. So true stories like that, how did they respond? What did they do? Um, and, 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 you know, basically, you know, the first chapter is about, you know, what, if I had a time machine, what would I do differently? So, you know, if I could go back and, and any of us, you know, we could do this about any area of life, I know, but with cybersecurity in the middle of an emergency, what would I change? You know, what would I change? Um, what would I uh, do differently? How would I do it that differently? Um, and, and, you know, what point in time, what one or two or three things would I do differently? And so we, we, we end that, we, we go through stories, true stories. Um, I'll just give you five quick tips from the end of chapter one. We talked about the world will never be immune from cyber attacks. And these are tips, you know, directly from CISOs around the world. That's from Singapore Airport, that this is getting worse. It's continuing, that we can't just imagine this is going to go away because it's not. It's going to continue. And we need to, you know, know that cybersecurity is a business risk issue. Um, it's not just what we talked about Um it's not just a technology or security issue. It's a business risk issue. Double-edged sword of zero trust. It talks about, you know, so many organizations are zero trust is now the mantra. Everybody wants to go to zero trust model. I'm a big supporter of zero trust. I've blogged and written about that. But in an emergency, sometimes you have to accept and apply patches. You have to apply other things that maybe, uh, quite frankly, um, you know, you may not be able to follow the, all the principles of zero trust. So how do you how do you really apply zero trust in a cyber emergency and how does that work? And, 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 and that whole discussion and stories around that uh, fourth tip real quick, I'll mention uh, pick the right person to lead the effort. Mark Weatherford, who is a senior fellow at Center for Digital Government, you know, and you all know he's, he's led a lot of different organizations, Colorado CISO, California CISO was undersecretary uh, in uh, uh, DHS and has other great leadership roles. He tells a story in California government about, um, I don't know if I have time to tell the whole story, Dustin, or not. If I can actually tell it, we have time to go. I'll tell you one go for story. It. So he <laughs> was CISO in California. And it's a, the, the, the tip is this, pick the right person to lead this. Because uh, he was CISO over the whole state, um, did not have authority over each individual agency, but a very large agency. He, he had negotiated that he was going to be involved in all of those decisions. 
uh, in, in hiring and interviewing and that kind of thing. Well, someone was selected that he didn't know about. He came in after the fact. He said the person was really nice. The person was, you know, very kind, professional, but something seemed wrong. The person did not seem qualified. The person, they, you know, just there's a lot of issues. He said, I saw a lot of red flags. Lo and behold, about a month later, he finds out the person, they had not done a background check. Um, they had not really looked at resume or they didn't really know this guy's background. Turns out he had just been released from prison um, and had no experience and uh, had been hired to lead this, this role. And uh, I won't go into you read the story in the book, but um, Mark talks about how you, you need to do these kind of this vetting. You know, who, who are you hiring? Background checks, those kinds of things are important. And then last but not least. That sounds um, like a cyber mayday right there. <laughs> that was a bit of a mayday and it was and the person was fired and they were very 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 apologetic about it mark you know talks about that act and adjust with resilience when cyber situation evolves and that came from deb snyder another senior fellow at the digital government it's true stories from new york state government um she talks about how they had a team they were responding to local ransomware attacks throughout you know new york and but very quickly they got overcome by events and it started getting to the point where they could not support all the different requests they had from the counties that really, you know, were just kind of overwhelming them. And, uh, and so they had to adjust. They had to bring in some private sector help. They had to make some changes and adjust their approach. They were able to be successful. And she, she'll tell you, they had a lot of great successes in New York. So, um, you know, kudos to them. They did a great job, but, but they had to really act and adjust. And, and then she talks about how they did that. So that's just some tips from, from chapter one. Dan, thanks a lot for sharing all those tips and stories. And so people watching, you definitely need to read the entire book so you can get everything. So I'd like to go to uh, part two of the book, which is about what happens, quote, when the alarm goes off, end quote. What are the major tactics that agencies should be thinking of when they recognize that an, ev that an event is taking place? Yeah, and again, I just want to highlight here, Jed, you know, there's so many stories in the book that you, you need to read them. I'm just going to give you one from my own personal experience in real life that I, I talk about in there. Um, and this goes all the way back to 03. So this is, you know, this is almost 20 years ago, 18 years ago. Um, but I was the emergency management coordinator for Michigan Department of Information Technology um, during the 03 blackout. And, and many of the lessons that I learned there still apply today. As I mentioned, the first one was, and the, and the main point I would say is, it's all about communication. How do you communicate an emergency? Who are you gonna call? Are they gonna be available? Where are you gonna go? How are you gonna do that? Basic lists like call lists and making sure they're updated. How are you gonna contact people? There's so many assumptions. We say, oh, well, I'm just gonna use my cell phone, right? Well, what if your cell phone's not available? What if, what if the network is down? How are you gonna communicate you know, in those kind of an emergencies? What if people aren't available? The, the, the Michigan lead um, for emergency management happened to be on vacation in Mexico at the time. So um, Christy Etchu, uh, the deputy emergency management coordinator, actually ran that whole incident for about five days. Uh, we spent better part of four 18-hour, 24-hour days, 18 to 24 hours in the emergency coordination center. And um, it was just amazing to see how all that thing, all everything that happened during that emergency, you know, people uh, really getting involved in, in communicating uh, things you assumed you could do, like update the website. We were hosting it in, in Boulder, Colorado at the time. We couldn't access the website. So a lot of things, We good news is we had a really good plan. 
Um, we had just been through Y2K. We had just, you know, we had, we had, we had been through a lot of different tests and we were ready. Um, we did, you know, get out of it. In fact, I would say even one of the lessons was if you communicate well, and there are lots of stories, this is just one, you know, you can actually come out of an emergency looking better as an organization. And I think that's what happened in the Michigan Department of Information Technology back in 0304, because we actually, so many agencies came to us after this and, and said, you know, we're so glad you were there because we would not have been able to, you know, do what you did. And, and so, um, you know, we had Terry Takai was actually in that emergency as well with me and in, in, uh, in the emergency coordination center. But I, I think that one, the number one area, there's lots of stories in there, but communication, it seems so easy to say, oh yeah, we're gonna communicate. But there's so many assumptions built into that. And, and, and there's lots of stories of like, how do you improve communication? Do you have a plan? Do you have cyber playbooks? Um, we didn't mention earlier, we talk a lot about, um, you know, certainly have you actually done tabletop exercises? Have you done full scale exercises? Have you tested your plans? Do you really know? I mean, it's the stories of where I, I, I worked with organizations that thought that they had a plan that was going to work. And then they discovered to do, to, to do a restore from their backups was going to take like three weeks because they had terabytes of data or petabytes of data and their lines were so slow. So, I mean, you know, really thinking through a lot of these communication issues and making sure that, you know, they're going to work. Um, so that those are just some of the tips from the, from, from, from part two. Yeah. I think communication is definitely paramount to, to, you know, responding to that. Now let's talk about part three is really about the day after, and that's, you know, the recovery from these cyber emergencies, you know, in your opinion, what are some of those tactics that agencies should consider along the way to recovery and, you know, building resilience long-term? Absolutely. Well, and I, I think, you know, we, we cover, and I'm going to read some of these to you, but um, chapter 11, you know, I think, you know, it's my favorite chapter in the book, although a lot of the stories are really fun too, but there's a lot of, um, it, it's really turning lemons into lemonade and and, and allowing, allowing your organization to really uh, be effective in uh, taking what you learned during this whole crisis and applying it back into your plan, improving you know, just like you do week to week with a football team or anything else, you know, how do you take the lemons, if you will, the situation and make lemonade out of it as an organization? So we really walk you through a lot of tips. Um, we talk about excuses that organizations typically make um, and then, you know, fact finding questions and then tips to help. So some of those questions include things like we did not have the time to, to properly prepare. We could not afford to, 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 to fend. Our company is different or our business or our government is different than everybody else. The vendor told us that it was not necessary. We didn't trust our system vendor the way we should have. We didn't understand why it was necessary. It was too hard. These are 10 excuses why best practices are not implemented or why people weren't doing what they should have been doing. We tried this before and it didn't work. We were afraid uh, what we might discover. We thought that we had a better way. Um, and, and, and then, you know, this you know, really kind of fact finding things you can do to say, are you really prepared? Are you really ready? Kind of asking why five times, but really going a little deeper and then tips that can help you in each of these areas. And then we talk about some solutions and, and one of them, I'll just mention one, there's lots of stories here again, but making failure real. I mean, what I've heard again and again and again from different um, cybersecurity uh, pros, you know, consultants, people in government and in the private sector is 
people who've been through a, a ransomware attack, they've been through a cyber emergency, um, and you walk in the room and the focus is there. It's like a laser focus. They're like engaged. They really are listening. You can hear a pin drop in the room. They're really, really um, wanting to help and, and listen and apply things. If they haven't seen that before, it's maybe not real to them. And 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 so many consultants, so many government people have told me the difference is like between night and day. It's, you know, where people are at. So how can you make failure real? How can you really help people understand the importance of, of exercises, of planning, of training, of really, you know, making your practice um, perfect, if you will. I mean, really, you know, perfecting your practice because the time is going to come when all of that's going to come into play. And the better you can do it practice, the better you're going to do in the real thing. So, um, you know, asking those questions and then stories behind, you know, I wish I had known this. I wish I had known that. And, and, and then applying that. So those are just some of the tips, but really taking those lemons and making lemonade out of them um, is, is really the key. All right, well, your, your book's out now. So where should our audience go to, to grab themselves a copy? Yeah, you mentioned Amazon here is great. You can go ahead and it's available really wherever books are sold. Um, you can go um, you know, to Wiley.com, it's at Barnes and Noble. Um, it's, it's really available. It, it, uh, we're really excited. It's it's probably not going to be in Europe and, and, and Asia till after Christmas, but sadly, but uh, it's supposed to be translated into 12 languages. So it's going to be a global book. Um, we're excited about, you know, it's not just about the U.S. This really is a global topic and um, it's really hitting people all over the world. Um, and certainly, uh, hopefully make some good Christmas presents as well. So, uh, but yeah, and I'm happy to, uh, to uh, you know, interact with people if they want to connect with me on LinkedIn and, and ask any questions and and I just really appreciate the opportunity to be with you guys. Awesome. You want to quickly share your uh, your Twitter handle or LinkedIn? Yeah, handle? at GovCSO, uh, at G-O-V-C-S-O. Um, and I'm you know on LinkedIn, Dan Lorman, L-O-H-R-M-A-N-N. Uh, feel free to, to reach out and talk to me. And just uh, want to say to you guys, just shout out to you. I mean, we just love your show and love what you guys do. It's, it's so important to government. And you guys get into the nitty gritty of, of government and state and local level and, and just really appreciate that. Well, we appreciate you taking time out of your day to share your insights with us. It was a phenomenal episode. So thanks for joining us on In Case You Missed It. And we're going to take a quick uh, break for the holidays and we'll be back at it after Thanksgiving. But uh, you'll have a wonderful weekend and have a th uh, thanks again for joining us on this episode. Thanks, everyone.